Hallo, subs. <laughs> Hallo. Hello. This is the Reverend I am Jolly here. Hello. Check out how excited Mark gets when people give him money. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. But I was given money recently to do something I really didn't like. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so. You're traumatised. Just, I, I don't know when this is coming out, but we are just coming off the back of an In Me episode that was foisted upon us by a generous listener. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. why you did it. Made a, made a rod yeah. for our own backs. Yeah. I mean, Sold out Second time it's happened it. We should know by now Yeah So the whole reason we changed The subscription system Is <laughs> to stop people Getting us in trouble Yeah uh, We've yet to hear From Enmi's lawyers But we're sure We're sure that <laughs> It's in the post Enmi are setting up A GoFundMe To pay for their lawyers Right now <laughs> So um, But Aye Subs Sometimes It leads to Weird situations This is one of them <laughs> Yeah it really um, is We have to come up with themes For bonus content And You'll be very familiar With this one hopefully uh, This is Sound as a Pound Episode 5 <laughs> It's just the 5th episode yeah. It's one of the only ones We've actually been <laughs> Consistent shit. at doing Um the, the the format is that we go into the pound store, which I guess would be the dollar store yeah. in the states. Uh, we go into the pound store, and the pound store have uh, an inexplicably large number of CDs, and we buy each other a gift. So I buy one for <laughs> Quote Mark, unquote I, gift. <laughs> yeah, I buy one for Mark, I buy one for Dave, and so on. Hence, we all end up with two, so we split it in half. So today. We are going to cover three of those albums. Mm-hmm. Dave, uh, which gift <laughs> gave you? Uh, which one are we doing? For? I don't, uh, right. You're doing uh, Mercury Rev. Okay, so uh, yeah, I think this was uh, yours, Mark. No. Was it not? Was this you, Chris? This is me. <laughs> yeah. You gave me uh, Mercury Rev with Deserters Songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be doing <laughs> Cardigan's album, Gran Turismo. <laughs> That's, that was me Say a mark <laughs> And I am doing A Place in the Sun By Lit Oh yeah that was me That was from, <laughs> definitely from Dave <laughs> Can I just say I was in the pound shop The other day And I sent it to you guys And I think this is a first That they actually had The 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster In there Royal Society Yeah Which yeah. is an album We've done mm-hmm. previously Well we covered Horse of the Dog Oh but, that's right yeah, But yeah. Royal Society Is a brilliant album They and do have It also had They had like Idlewild Hope is Important In there as yeah, well They mm-hmm. have some Really good ones yeah. It's it's a combination Of people with Good music taste Getting really hooked On Skag mm-hmm. <laughs> Selling <laughs> Selling bags and bags Of yeah. CDs Because I'm guessing This magpie. is it's Music Magpie Probably yeah, And yeah, then yeah, they'll yeah. get Redone yeah. And then But then I just think It's a very interesting Concept All these Secondhand CDs Sitting in there these are albums that were maybe oversold or purchased by people mm. that were not that into music. Mm. And I guess, yeah, you're going to have some good ones that fell through the cracks and have just been returned because they've gone digital or whatever. And there's quite a lot of, I think, yeah, two records today sold millions on the strength of one or two singles. Yeah, yeah. I, I think all of them, maybe. <laughs> you, you also had the situation where... I think previously the, the the CDs that would pop up in there tended to be CDs that had been overhyped and had no lastability, or mm-hmm. they were the third or fourth album by a band that had been big and somebody bought it and taken it back. Yeah. Whereas now, because everybody's just clearing out their CD collection full stop, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a bit less representative of that. It's just sort of a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how they decide what does and doesn't go on sale. Uh, it'd be really interesting. No, actually, it wouldn't be really interesting. It'd be fucking boring to listen to talk about <laughs> it. Kim, it is interesting, though, slagging off bands. Yeah, So, close. who wants to go first? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll go first. Lit. We'll do Lit <laughs> Mark's first. so eager to talk about Lit. I really Because am. Dave's actually got it bang on.
<laughs> well, like the thing is, what makes you buy the CD for the other person in the group? Is it for a laugh? Is it because they actually might like it? Is it because of the background of it? So I obviously got this for Mark because it's a pop punk yeah. sort of seen as a classic, but it was there, and I was like, well, but fuck it. Up. Neither of those things. <laughs> well, I never knew that until <laughs> I listened to it. Yeah. It's pop punk, is it not? Well, no, no two like songs on it are. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, this right. album was clearly sold. Because of this one huge single, which everyone knows and everyone still listens to. <laughs> My own worst enemy, I oh, which is um, it's as soon as you mention the band that pops in. I mean, yeah. but it has got two hundred and thirty million plays on Spotify, so it's like a massive, massive song, mm-hmm. like huge. And for what it is, it's actually quite True. a good song, right? It's so overplayed It's unbelievable No but it's like It's It's really good at what it does It's there with Fat Lip By Sum 41 Mm. And that level of Teenage pop punk With a big hook Yeah I did I did have A question about that Yeah When did this come out again? 1999 99 right Mark by your estimation Because you are the authority here Even though you were a fucking Wayne when it happened Was that the sound Of that time? Did they help Create the demand for that sound Or were they capitalising on a sound that existed Because the album they brought out before it uh, Is nothing like that like the, the album they brought out before it is called Tripping the Light Fantastics in 97 mm-hmm. It's much more rocky And it's actually really interesting. It's got like a bunch of proggy stuff in it. It sounds a bit like some oh. of the cooler post-hardcore bands mixed with like kind of slightly cheesy British rock of the in me sort of variety. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good album, but it's it's a much, much more interesting album. So I was wondering, did their success with a single help create the feeding frenzy around that music? Or were they like, oh, guys, look where the money is. Let's go and write that single. It's probably the latter, because I guess the biggest record for pop punk in the late 90s would have been um, Enema of the State by Blink-182, which mm-hmm. came in 1988. Yeah, the year before this, this isn't. There's, there's only two, like Dave said. There's only two pop punk songs in this, and one of them is a big single. The rest of it is just kind of generic pop rock. Mm-hmm. If you want to be generous, um, the only uh, thing is, like, if Enemy of the State came out in '98, right, and things started to get to explode for it. I mean, I really started in 1994. Though we've discussed this. Yeah, I life, mean, you're you've got Green Day, you've got Offspring. But the later then, 90s is def- it was definitely But there, there was album. a wave We talked about that In the pop punk uh, mixtape The live pop punk, mon- punk mixtape Which mm-hmm. you should listen to If you've not mm-hmm. already listened to But um, I'm just saying that Okay A year isn't always a long time To rush out such a big Fully realised single Because I mean Let alone the fact that When the album won't hit the market Until like six months after it's finished Minimum at that point You know mm-hmm. So I, I'm trying to work out whether or not they just happened to be part of a movement or whether they were really writing yeah, but, for cash. <laughs> I wouldn't say they were part of the movement at all. I think this song is maybe part of that movement, but as a band, I don't think they yeah, are. Yeah, I think, I think it is luckily hookier and more pop punk than the rest of their stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the producer's gone, oh, listen to Enema of the State and gone, fuck, 
you could really make a killing of aye, I, if aye. we you know really sort of highlighted yeah. this track. It was also on the soundtrack for a, a Fox animation film called Tiny E, which is which played like this part, one yeah. Titan A E. Yeah, this was like the Holy this was like the song. Yeah, and that film was a flop at the box office, but this song was fucking massive as a result. So and then the video came out at that time of like American Pie mm-hmm. and all of this sort of yeah teenage pop punk American culture jackass even so um, um i mean we we mentioned these guys in the the in me episode dave which i know you're really upset that you missed um <laughs> they because they're still fucking going man <laughs> they're still fucking going seriously yeah fuck. we had the section in that called the bands that won't die uh-huh. and i couldn't fucking believe that let are still going let started in 1988 and actually technically they'd started in 1987 as a band called straight lace and then changed it mm-hmm. by the way one of the members of Straight Lace, a guy called Derek Johnson, was one of the hundred people killed at the Great White tragedy in oh, really? Rhode Island in 2003, yeah. Uh, but the band lit started in 1988 and are still fucking going on the strength of that. And I've listened to their new stuff. <laughs> it's funny that they, like, when they came out, like, they kind of stood out from Blink and stuff because they had a rockabilly look about them. And the guy did his yeah, quiff. They, did. they almost had the Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah, Rocket so, from yeah. the Crypt, Living End as well. Yeah. And then you kind of think, oh, is the rest of their stuff going to sound like that? Can I just clarify? Not Ta- really. Titanate, they actually had a song the following year on Titan A soundtrack called Over My Head. Yeah. I remember Over My Head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Not this banger then. Um, well, having listened to their, their new stuff, uh, they now do the, these kind of nostalgic, all-American, southern drawl, slide guitar, soft rock anthems mm. that, that are sort of designed to back footage of soldiers coming home from Afghanistan <laughs> to hug their kids. Do you know, oh, it's, well. it's that kind of stuff. One of these days I'm going to get out of this town. I'm going to find me a great big dream. And chase it down I want to make a lot of money And a whole lot of love And I said baby And we halfway there now Maybe these are the days And I'm the one I actually I meant to send it over to you uh, A really good article on butt rock That's bad with fall in that category Yeah nearly But it's like <laughs> Definitely now <laughs> Maybe we should do an episode on butt rock We should do an we episode should. on butt yeah, rock we should <laughs> But like the guy who wrote it, it, he's like quite warm about it and isn't too ironic and it's not too meta. He's like actually quite warm to it, but he understands why it's shit. So if we could try and match that tone and just rip it <laughs> off, that'd be great. Uh, other notable details. They're not a band that is a stranger to tragedy because their drummer died of brain cancer in 2008. Mm. Um, the story has last shows quite touching. They did, they did a big concert with the guy from uh, No Doubt and stuff like that, filling in on drums. And then at one point, the two of them were playing, yeah, uh, you know, it's that's that's a shame. Uh, regardless of how fucking bad this album is, um, and another point that I really want to highlight here, and something that it stopped me in my tracks a bit. Right, so this band started in nineteen eighty eight. Right, the the first album came out in nineteen ninety seven. This band took nine years <laughs> yeah. to release their debut album. Now, in me, another one started in nineteen ninety six. Their debut album came two thousand and three. So like. These what, bands, what are they up to? What are they fucking doing? Yeah. Why have they not at least put something? Maybe they've got like some obscure thing that they've just sort of deleted from mm. the collective consciousness. But why are they still so fucking unevolved as bands after like nine years together? Yeah. I mean, because this album is eleven years after they started as a band. They sound like fucking kids on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a kids album. You know, you talk, you said some forty one. Some forty one had the decency to be, be of school age when they, when they did their album. You That's know, it, th- this sounds like a school age band, and it means to sound like a school age band for the very reason of American Pie and all that shit that we were we were mentioning. Um, 
Shall we talk about the album a little bit then? Oh, please. Um, it's, this album is so aggressively boring. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I remember not buying this record when it came out because I was, you know, obviously more metal than pop punk. But I did occasionally buy pop punk and enjoyed it, you know, whatever. But I just decided not to buy Lit. Mm-hmm. And thank fuck. Yeah, thank fuck. This, this... I've, I've maybe held in my, you know, over the last 20, 25 years that this album might actually be a sort of lost pop punk classic because it never really gets mentioned. But, you know, Doesn't this album is huge. <laughs> Fucking hell, it's so yeah. dull. It, it makes it in me look like Dillinger Escape Plan. <laughs> <laughs> it, it throws you a curveball with that first song. Why is the first song called Four? I don't know. I can work that out. Why has it got a phaser in it? Why is the intro so but, fucking long? But it, the first song has a kind of rocky, Nor- almost Nirvana riff. It's like, a Nirvana riff. There's yeah, something yeah, yeah. more there, and then and my no. own worst enemy comes in straight off the back of it. Yeah, um, uh, yeah really, really strange. Um, the the third track on it, Down, honestly sounds like it took them about five minutes to write it. It sounds like a copy of a copy of a copy of Silverchair playing Cheap Trick. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silverchair is a good shout, actually. Like this is this album is way more grungy than I thought. I will. Like post grungy, it's yeah. like I was expecting Green Day and I got Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> so it says that um, Miserable is their other big single, right? Which, yeah, I didn't. I mean, let's be honest. The entire song is famous because he says, "You make me come. Yeah, yeah. you make me complete. You make me completely miserable." Mm. You. Fifteen million listens on Spotify. Yeah, all for that puerile fucking joke. Mm-hmm. That really, first time through, you're like, all right, okay, whatever. I've written that it's the oral equivalent of a of a bloody hamburger, completely tasteless slop with zero nutrients or flavour. <laughs> of a bloody hamburger. Of a blended hamburger. Blended hamburger. Yeah. What's that? Just putting a blender and make any beige paste. That would still have nutrients in it, though. Hamburgers don't have nutrients in them. In the Hamburgers have lots of nutrients in them. Uh, it depends where you get it from. Cheese, <laughs> that's a nutrient. They have, they have the key meat vitamins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, vitamin vitamin M. <laughs> exactly, vitamin moo. Um, um, it's, it's so slow and lumbering. How is it even have 50 million listeners? I don't yeah, understand. I was going to say it's. it's I'd never very heard it fucking, uh, I, I'd heard it because of that stupid fucking gimmicky opening line and that there's a line that's stuck to a chair and stuff. It's like obviously got loads of sort of lewd allusions mm. to wanking, but it's so slow. Like it's such yeah. a turgid song, you yeah, know. Yeah. I, I did expect their other single to be a bit more upbeat. You couldn't fucking play this at the catty, mm-hmm. you know. So that was a weird one. And then there's tracks like "No Big Thing," which I remember Ziploc. I think was the follow up single to "My Own Worst Enemy," yeah. and I think I remember seeing them play it on T4 on oh. Sunday. Is that block is basically the same song as No Big Thing, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same song. 
I mean, act your fucking age, I think, is one of my abiding takeaways from this record. Yeah, it's it's obviously crap. It's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's clearly, it's obviously clearly rubbish. Pound store crap. No surprises here. Uh-huh. The only surprise is maybe that it's as bad as it is and yet it's still got so famous. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's the power of one single. And that era, for sure. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. All right, who's next? Uh, well, Mercury Rev are different. <laughs> they are very different. All right, let's do Mercury Rev. <laughs> Yeah, now this is a band that I've heard of my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've always been aware of Mercury Rev. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear, David. I got you uh, the 1998 album of the year for a quid. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever actually heard Mercury Rev. Okay. I also had no idea they were American. Can I just reinforce within Deserter songs? By yeah, yeah, yeah. Deserter songs. Um, I always tied them up with Gomez and like <laughs> oh. Steve Lamack. That sort odd. of era. <laughs> I don't know why. I- see, see, for me, Mercury Rev are... A wee bit echoing the bunny men and a lot of flaming lips. Well, it's a huge amount of flaming lips. But there's but, a, like flaming lips are a huge amount of Mercury Rev. Yeah, but there's a reason for that as well. So they, yes. yeah, Jonathan Donahue was in Flaming Lips for two albums, and mm. their their fates were like totally intertwined. Yeah. All the way. Well, I mean, first up, first listen to Mercury Rev, I'm like, oh, I don't think I've actually heard them. I didn't know they were American. I'm going, oh, it sounds like Flaming Lips. Then, aye. So, funnily enough, it turns out that this record and Soft Bulletin by Flaming Lips were recorded at the same time. In the same studio by the same producer with the same gear, as yeah, well. exactly. Apparently they were going in and out, and so they're basically and they were playing on each other's records mm-hmm. and everything. So they are kind of twin records. Yeah, it's also very guided by voices. It is, yeah. It's got that. I mean, Donahue's got that deliberately wobbly, fragile voice that's mm-hmm. definitely marmite. You know, mm-hmm. some people that aren't in the indie really aren't going to enjoy that. Um, that would be me. Yeah, be me. I mean, <laughs> it, it is designed to be disarmingly tender and flawed. It's I, I get it. Yeah. However, I will it. say. Haven't actually quite liked some of their tunes and sought them out in live shows and stuff. It's sometimes mm-hmm. that wobbly flawedness is just plain bad Aye. live. It doesn't translate in the same sort of endearingly just on the edge way. Mm-hmm. It topples right over and ugh, it's disappointing. So they are a band that have been around for a long time. A long so time. a lot of records. Like mid-80s. This is their fourth record. Um, and funnily enough, yeah, so... They were going to break up. They were going to break up. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, this could probably be an unsung album because it's got an interesting story. They decided to make one more record entirely for themselves, ignoring commercial influences, and they expected to split up afterwards. They actually sent this out in a casket <laughs> as PR, and then it became their most successful album. By, by some um, I mean, but it's not their favourite. Like, Donahue's no. the previous one, See You on the Other Side, was their best record. Yeah. And... You know, they're, they're quite an influential band. Like You can hear the influence of this band on people like of Montreal, oh. a kind of weird arty indie world. Yeah, um, like at the time there was Flaming Lips, obviously, Granddaddy. Even That's another one. Delgado's from here. Yeah. 
Uh, but then even stuff like Fleet Foxes, My Morning Jacket, yep. um, Arcade Fire even. Aye, aye, probably mm-hmm. aye. And in the, some of the earlier stuff, it's a lot more experimental. I mean, and see on the other side, there's some chunky guitar, like actually properly chunky, mm, yeah. not heavy, but riffy guitar. Um, some of the earlier albums, like there's one called Yourself is Steam from 91 and one called, I think it's Bocas. Bocas. From 93. And first of all, those two albums have really iconic covers. that You'll have seen them around and... The sound on them is much more unconventional, much more extreme. It walks in this like weird wilderness of folky psychedelia, a bit like there's a band called Gorky's Psychotic Monkey mm-hmm. where they had like flutes and stuff like that it's got shoegaze on it and it's got even parts of like the early 90s baggy scene late 80s, early 90s Manchester baggy scene and I really suspect that at some point somebody's going to be on this show as a guest and is going to nominate Mercury Rev because yeah, that's what I was such thinking. a storied catalogue, I think like Ferruccio for example, I think he's got a real soft spot for them mm. because especially early on, they're really avant-garde Very, very interesting. It maybe takes a fair bit of work to get into it, but yeah, this is this is the commercial end of the band, definitely. But it's interesting that they were specifically trying not to be commercial. Yeah. And yeah, and it's an interest it is an interesting record. It's very retro sounding, mm-hmm. hugely, you know, tightly orchestrated. There's a lot of sounds on it, a lot of different sounds on it, you know, it's, it's yeah. very the instrumental palette of this song of this album is is wide, is really wide, yeah, you know. Saxophone man, yeah. really, in that Hudson line tune. Totally. Um I think one thing that I struggled to connect with the most about it was the kind of baroque feel to it. Yeah. Like yeah. I was that just apart from the fragile vocal as well, which did put me off, that was also a bit of a is that I don't know if it's timpani or pocket piano or something that they use quite a lot as mm-hmm. well, but like that also kinda of started start to grate in you after a while. I think. It's quite yeah. twee and places. Mm. Um, I think there are some places where that really, really works though. The opening track holes, uh, the fifth track, Opus 40. The eighth track, Goddess on a Highway. Really good songs for me. I, I really like them. Unironically, have enjoyed them for many, many years. From those songs, I tried to get into some more of the band stuff, and it just never really clicked. Uh, nor did much of the rest of this album. But those are really standout bits of music to me. Um, there's stuff like tonight. It shows. I think the second track is like almost like a Disney tune. You had to choose a side to lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got a really Disney like fairy tale lullaby quality to it that's mm-hmm. a bit too childish. It doesn't yeah. really mm-hmm. click. Um, but as I say, there are moments when that really connects for me. It's interesting what you can produce when you're, you know, as you say, this is their last album, they were going to quit. 
interesting what comes out when yeah. you've nothing left to lose. You're mm. just like it also reminded me of pre weird Walker Brothers. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like that sort of Las Vegas showtown, but like slightly sort of misanthropic. But I would not be surprised yeah. if they were fans of Walker Brothers, yeah, yeah. especially given how experimental their early stuff is as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so actually an interesting record. I mean, it's not for me. I'm not going to listen to it, but I understand why people would yeah. like it. It's a, influ- mm. a really influential one as well. So, as I say, it was Enemy Album of the Year in 1998. Uh, the, the, the critical acclaim that's got is was staggering. Mm. Yeah. Really staggering. Like, if you look on, even if you look on Wikipedia, we see like got like nine in Pitchfork and yeah. like full marks in NME. And, and I do remember when I used to listen to Steve Lamack and John Peel, they would always be talking about Mercury Rev. And in sort of hushed tones Yeah because they were like An indie band with loads of street cred Yeah You know they did have street cred They were alternative It was sort of I don't know It's a good analogy for Britpop But they, they, they just had A little bit of edge mm-hmm. a, a sort of bit of legitimacy That some of the other slicker bands didn't have Yeah Like, like Pulp maybe Yeah Pulp Or even The Verve Yeah The yeah. Verve were sort of the underground one That people were muttering about Because yeah. that was an album I think Mercury Rev Did they not They were really good friends With Chemical Brothers Or something like that they they Yeah he man. did a track on Yeah and, and it was Chemical Brothers Had got a copy of this Before it came out mm-hmm. And were pure touting it About to everybody And I think Your boy from Flaming Lips Was doing the same tell yeah. it, like, So there was a buzz About this record That this band had made Before the record even landed Yeah Well yeah Nice record Yep Thanks all right, uh, my turn. Mm-hmm. The Cardigans, Aye. Gran Turismo. Who gave me that? Me. Mark? Mark? Yeah. Um, no, first of all, for listeners, this is not the album with Love Fool on it. Love me, love. But it does have two very huge tracks it's got on it. Two very big, big huge. singles on it. Yeah. yeah See, before uh, you get into this, I want to ask how many, how many children do you think were conceived to this album? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Not as many as were conceived to the previous one, I would suggest, <laughs> because it's not really what I expected. Um, Anyway, like, I mean, very quickly, Swedish band formed in 1992, Five Piece, it was almost consistently the same members throughout. Mm-hmm. I think when they reformed, they maybe replaced the guitarist or something. But uh, their debut album, which came out only in Sweden and Japan in 1994, was called Emmerdale and was named after mm-hmm. the show on British <laughs> TV for some fucking reason. And it featured a cover of Sabbath Bloody Sabbath on it. Um, a kind of twee lounge pop version of course the the second album Life which came out in 1995 was only the second album in Japan and Sweden and it was actually released here in a slightly different form as a bit of a compilation between the best songs from Emmerdale and the best songs from Life yeah, it was still just called Life for Us and it was touted as their debut here. Um, and it also, the the version that we got also had that Black Sabbath cover on it. I think from that album, Carnival is probably the most recognisable tune, which is just watery pish. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> It's a water painting of a bad fucking song. Uh, in 96, uh, they brought out First Band on the Moon. Very uh, prolific period for them, by the way, because of the 94, 95, 96, like, mm-hmm. hit singles on every single fucking record. Big breakthrough for them. That has Love Fool on it, which also appeared then in the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, the Basil Luhrmann film.
uh, and a bit like you were saying about the Titan AE thing, the video for Love Fool was intercut with the footage from the yeah. film, which also kind of propelled it on because that was such a huge film. Yeah, that was time. Young DiCaprio. That is high. Yeah. And the soundtrack. Had the soundtrack was ever huge. Clear on yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Um, but it also had like Radiohead and stuff like that in it. And so they benefited from the credibility of that in mm. general. You know, it made them seem a bit more edgy than they maybe were at the time. And First Band in the Moon also features a Black Sabbath cover, a different one, this time Iron Man, mm. uh, which is obviously rotten. And you, you get the feeling it's a, a bit of a pisty. You get the feeling that people in the band love Sabbath, mm. but that, you know, they know that it's totally inappropriate to cover it. And so they're doing it for that reason. Uh, Gran Turismo, 1998, first studio album not to feature a Black Sabbath cover, <laughs> obviously. Uh, has a very similar kitsch 90s drum beat to a number of other records that we got in the yeah. same batch of buy-in. Yeah. Um, I think for them, what surprises me is that Gran Turismo was a lot less twee and a lot less, frankly, naff yeah. than the prior albums. Uh, I think they would probably describe it as being darker. Um, it has distortion in the bass in places. It's got some bluesier and sometimes quite minor vocal lines. The, the, the opening track in it, Paralyzed. I mean, it doesn't exactly blow your socks off because it's the cardigans, but it's definitely not the fluffy pop that they were known for at that yep, point. Definitely. Um, it has a really interesting key change at the mm-hmm. end of each chorus, very odd diminished key change. Um, and it's got lines like, when your blood runs dry, it will eat your mind. Uh, <laughs> which, if you think about it, is actually kind of Sabbathy. Mm-hmm. And the chords in that song are kind of Sabbathy. I would have loved it if Black Sabbath had returned a favour mm-hmm. by covering the Cardigans song, because yeah. I think it would have been seamless. Uh, the second track in it, Raising Rewind, is one of those big singles Huge. you were talking about. Great what? bass tone on that, by the way. Really good bass tone. It's on not that. bad. I mean, I really liked the cardigans when I was <laughs> ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, like, I liked the radio singles when I used to listen to fucking Mark Goodyear on <laughs> Goodyear. Radio One, and <laughs> or uh, Terry Wogan. And the cardin- cardigans came on. I would be like, oh yeah, I like the the song. Or see, I have to be honest. I fucking hated the cardigans. I hated them in that Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, but. And I'm not a big fan of a razor rewind. It's okay. I can appreciate it on a kind of academic level of being, oh, it's quite interesting in terms of its, con- its construction. Mm-hmm. It sounds much more modern, much moodier. It has a really strange vocal bend on that line, I've changed my mind, where yeah. she yeah. drops out a key and stuff. And they just weren't doing things like that in their earlier albums. Um, so whilst I really didn't like them, as a rule, what I found when I was listening to this was this is really not that bad yeah, at all. Yeah, and fine. so you're saying that whilst I do think there were babies conceived to this, I suspect that some people probably banged it on and then were like, I'm feeling yeah. a bit down now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Um, it's, it's quite dubby, quite trip hoppy as well. Yeah, it's, you know. it's got some of that kind of almost breakbeaty mm-hmm. sort of pop drum thing. Um, yeah. The track Explode. Actually, it's really pretty fucking decent. Um, I think 
we're obviously quite jaded as podcasters, right? Jaded and somewhat desensitised by Meshuggah and Pig Destroyer and stuff. But this is definitely dark and definitely mm-hmm. melancholy. Yeah. Um, I think Explode, Sharon Van Etten could do a killer version of that tune. Chelsea Wolf, yeah. Emma Ruth Rundle, somebody like that. It's a do you know what's funny? Is this is around the same time as Madonna was doing Ray of Light. Which was like that dark and quite moody record. Frozen. Yeah, Frozen, exactly. And then I guess Bjork was Bjork and doing this sort of stuff. So it, it, you can see where they're sort of borrowing from and going, oh, maybe we can achieve some success. Maybe they just while got not- fed up being fluffy. Yeah, it yeah, would yeah. get fucking tedious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Nina Persson, Pearson. I mean, her, her voice is very sweet. Okay, mm-hmm. so it is a little bit of a juxtaposition when she's trying to make it darker. It it, it almost gets there. It, it it maybe creates a bit of a balance. Uh, the fourth track, starter. It's also really quite good. There's uh, a lot of interesting guitar work in that, man. Yeah, some really good yeah, chord, like that. chord mm-hmm. changes in it. There's actually some riffs in it. Um, I mean, the album tracks in this are really fucking solid. What the fuck is going on? Uh, Higher is maybe the first time it gets a bit too saccharine for me. It's not bad. Um, Marvel Hill, I mean, the seventh tune that instrumentally sounds like a MIDI version of the birthday party. <laughs> I mean, it's really odd. It's quite angular. It's quite unpleasant. But because of her voice, it's like a manga schoolgirl doing Nick Cave. You know, mm. it's 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 a weird combination again. But it's surprisingly jaded and actually pretty cool. Um, my favourite game is the other big big single that wah, wah, just mm-hmm. became sort of iconic for the band. Is, that's probably the next most famous tune I would say after Love Fool. Yeah, I think you so. Know. It's fine. I mean, I'm over familiar with it, but it's not a bad song when you praise it on its merits. Yep. It was one of those ones that had hooks that were maybe used by like, remember Trigger Happy TV? There was always like mm-hmm. yeah. hooks of big 90s indie songs. It, yeah. And it was like, yeah, that's easy to yeah. take away. I mean, honestly, my main criticism, my only really abiding criticism of this album would be that that plicky plucky artificial drum sound that they use all the way through it gets a bit grating. Yeah. It's very, very 90s. And even though some of the beats aren't that bad, just the delivery, the fact that it's always those samples and it's mm-hmm. clearly sampled, the fact that it's always those gets a little bit tedious. But, I mean, this is a totally decent little record. I'm not saying that I'm going to spend a lot of time listening to it, but it could totally fit in some half-decent playlists. And specifically the album tracks. I I enjoyed the album tracks far more than I enjoyed the famous singles. I think the production on it is really interesting. I think there's a lot of things that they do with the guitars and how how they're mixed and the choices of sounds I think are really good. You know, Peter Svensson, the guitar player, he's now a songwriter for like Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber and all that. Mm -hmm. Jings, there's going to be a few of those fuckers popping up there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know there's a, a 
I was reading the Pitchfork review from when it came out, and it's seriously creepy. The guy's just like, I really fancy that girl, and the only reason I got into it was because she was so hot, and oh, it's actually quite a good record, but... Oh gosh, I hope that he cares. You know, I, you, you kind of wonder if part of the reason it sounds so jaded is because she's just so fucking sick of that. Yeah, totally. you know. You, but yeah, like I was saying, like these albums overall are weird, and why are they sitting, you know, for sale twenty five years later? But it's interesting that this album is sitting there and was bought in huge numbers because of the two singles. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, going over it, the standout things are not the two singles well let's be honest as well overall. with the cardigans especially the people that liked the singles and who probably bought they probably get into them and bought it on the strength of their previous singles you know mm-hmm. cheesy stuff like carnival and love yeah. probably didn't like this album that much it's so, a little bit so it's, it's one of those albums that's probably oversold but underappreciated yeah absolutely mm-hmm. it's probably unsung and thus i would end this bonus feature by saying that i think if we were to rank them this one Mm-hmm. By virtue of being really quite unsung, finishes top. Mercury Rev, by virtue of just being quite probably better, influential, but, and better, and yeah, but album. very critically acclaimed. Yeah, and, and lit. It's <laughs> <laughs> a distant third. Yeah, God, absolutely it's, getting that's on the moon. It's so fucking far away, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, here we go. Give me an agreement. All right, thanks. Awesome. Well, stay tuned. Uh, we'll have more of these in the future. Yeah, more bonus content. And if you know someone else that listens to Unsung and doesn't subscribe, next time you see them, have, your, he- them. have your headphones <laughs> in and look really entertained. And when they ask what you're listening to, go, shh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the guys are <laughs> just saying some really drawing. funny bits just about to happen. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.